0: Praise God for those testimonies from people in our congregation. Uh, the team just thought it would be good for you guys to hear from people that you're going to run into in the hallways from all three campuses who go, yeah, I, I give, and, and here's the reason why. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about that, and we're talking about the blessing of giving. But before I get there, I, I just want to kind of set the stage for this morning. What, what I want to teach you is what takes Jesus' breath away. I want you to learn today, like, what, what would make Jesus stop in his tracks and look? What, what really grabs his attention? Go ahead, going to give you a spoiler alert. Uh, it's nothing that would take our breath away or grab our attention or make us stop to look. He just operates like on a totally different plane. But here's my hope. My hope is that today you at least learn how Jesus thought and worked and moved and breathed so that we can at least strive to imitate his heart and his mind. We're going to do that in the Gospel of Luke. Open your Bible up, Luke chapter 21. We always have guests with us, and so I want you to know what we're doing. Uh, guests, those of you watching it online, maybe for the first time, we are in a series where we're walking with Jesus. We just started this like the second week in January, where we're going uh, with Jesus from the triumphal entry in Luke 19, just going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, making our way through until we get to Luke 24 and the resurrection on Easter Sunday, and so uh, we took a break last week as I just shared a testimony of what God had done in my life, uh, and I just felt, we felt the need for me to share that with you guys. But now we're jumping back into this journey through Luke. So i got to remind you what happened two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, you heard Pastor Zer talk about the, the end of chapter 20 and all the tests that the religious leaders were throwing at Jesus to try to trip him and try to, to make him mess up so they could, they could capture him and trap him. And Jesus, just with, with ease, shut all the traps down. No one could stand to him. And he finishes chapter 20 really digging into the brokenness of the religious leaders, calling out the scribes, the way they flaunt their affluence, the way they take advantage of people, just their evil. So he finishes with a very bad example. And then at the beginning of Luke 21, he starts with a good example. And this is where you're going to see what grabs Jesus' attention. Four verses. Here's what it says. Luke 21, beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. All we're going to deal with this morning is these four verses because there's so much power packed into what you just saw right there. So uh, this version doesn't do, but if you were to read the account in the Gospel of Mark, it says that when Jesus saw it, he called his disciples over to look. He said, hey, guys, guys, come over here. Come over here. I want to show you something. Look at that widow right there. Fix your eyes on her because she just gave more than everybody else. Now, here's what you got to know. The disciples would not have originally understood what Jesus meant because it did not look like she put in more than everybody else. So some details you need to know about the story to make sense of all that's happening is the fact that it says they were giving, they were putting money in the offering box. So a little little Jewish history for you. There were 13 of these offering boxes around the court of the women that was right outside the the temple court there where they would make their sacrifices. These 13 offering boxes were places where you could put not the temple tax, the temple tax you were required to pay, the offering was above and beyond. This was a free will gift to the Lord that you felt compelled. I freely desire to invest in the ministry of the temple and you could put money in these 13 different offering boxes. Now, another thing that's important is that a box is actually a misnomer. It wasn't a box. It was like an upside down trumpet. It was wide on the bottom. So think of like a cone, like when you're driving wide on the bottom and it came up to a smaller point on top. And it was set up that way because you could put your money inside of it. And then when you put your money in it, no one could stick their hand in to get the money out. If it was the other way where it's like uh, small on the bottom and wide on the top, then at that moment, like people could just come in and take the money and put it in their pockets. So this was kind of safeguard theft. So they would put the the cone, this metal cone, it would come in, you drop your money in. But because of the shape of it, then every single time somebody put in money, it would rattle around. It it would just clink around in that, that upside down cone. And also you gotta remember this, in in olden days, like you didn't have paper money, you couldn't use like Apple Pay to put a gift into the offering. If you were gonna give a gift, the only way to do it was through coins. And so these rich people would come up and they would start pouring the coins in, and it would just clank, 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 clank. And they would just keep going and going, putting in their offering in these, these, this cone for everybody to hear. And so here's what would happen. People would be walking by, and they would start hearing the clanking, and they would stop and look. And there would be this dude, with just a bucket, pouring more and more. And they're all going like, oh, man, check him out. That dude must be rich. Look at all that money he's putting in. And then you had that rich guy putting in going, oh, no, 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 stop it. No, no, come on. No, stop it. No, don't, don't, don't look at me. Don't look at me. These rich people, they loved the attention they got when they put a lot of money into the offering basket. Everybody could see when they put their offering in. They could hear it and drew attention. But somewhere in one of the other 13 offering boxes was this little widow, and she came up with two copper coins. 2 The Greek is lepta. Some people call them mites. And it looked a little bit like this. I mean, nothing much to it, just small coins. And she came up to the offering box, and she went... That was it. It was over. No one could hear it. No one could see it. Everybody walked by. They were so busy listening to that dude putting in that mountain of money, they couldn't see the widow. No one saw her except Jesus. And Jesus stops everything and says, Disciples, don't don't pay attention to those rich people. Come over here, that widow. And then he says something profound. She put in more than any of the others. Now the disciples are going, no, no, Jesus. We could hear that dude is clearly putting in more than that widow. And Jesus teaches them an incredible lesson. He says, No, they gave out of their abundance, but she, in her poverty, another word for that is in her destitution, gave all she had to live on. And in that one word, that one sentence, he's teaching the disciples and us an incredible principle about how God views our giving. It is not the amount he looks at, it is the weight. He looks at how much does it weigh in our lives? How big is it in our lives? Not how much money does it add up to? Not the amount, the weight. Okay, let's go ahead and be honest. None of us look at it that way. You know, if we were to do something, by the way, we would never do this, but let's just say we were gonna take an offering where whatever amount you put in it showed up on the screen, the exact amount you put in. And let's say we were raising money for the homeless in the city of Arlington and we're taking a collection, and so you come in, you put in your $100. Somebody puts in $200. Oh, some dude walks in in fancy clothes, comes to the front, gives a check, and it shows on the screen $100,000 given to help. All of you be like, whoa, check him out. That brother just gave $100,000. And the next person walks up, tattered clothes, and comes in and puts in $1. And the screen goes $1. Moves on. You want to know what would grab our attention? Let's be honest. $100,000, holy cow, that's a lot. But you know, that person who put in $100,000, they may have millions in the bank and in, in investments and all that, and $100,000, they don't even feel it. But what if that one dude came up there and that, that, that's what he was going to eat lunch or He's going to buy himself a taco or something. He gave, he gave his last dollar in going, I just want to be a part of it. Jesus is saying that $1 was worth more than $100,000 because he looks at the weight not the amounts. Now, I think that's really important because the Lord wants to take us on a journey to understanding true generosity in a way that maybe we don't. So I don't normally ask you to take notes, but I would love for you to take the three points that we learn from this widow. Three simple statements that show us how we can actually please the Lord when we give to him. Because there is a way to give to the Lord that doesn't please him, and there's a way to give to the Lord that does. And I want you to please the Lord. You want to please the Lord. So three points. Here's the first one. What we learn from the widow. A pleasing gift requires sacrifice. Write that down. If you want to please the Lord, a pleasing gift will always require sacrifice. If it's easy, it's not going to be pleasing to him. Sacrifice is required. That's what you get with a widow. Here she comes. It wasn't much money, but it was all she had to live on. She gave every, literally every last penny to the Lord sacrificed it all. That's what made Jesus stop in his tracks and call everybody to look. You see this all over the Bible, by the way, that what really stirs the heart is when somebody loves God so much they want to sacrifice on his behalf. How does God show his love for us? He sacrifices his own son. Sacrifice is, is key to who, what pleases the heart of the Father, who he is. I mean, you see this. One of the most beautiful demonstrations is actually in the Old Testament. So keep your place in, in Luke 21. But I want to flip over to 2 Samuel, chapter 24. Now, in this chapter, a really interesting thing takes place. King David has sinned by taking a census. A plague has broken out among the people of God. The Israelites are being overcome and dying by this plague. And so God goes to the prophet Gad to tell King David, here's how you stop the plague. Go to the threshing floor of Aruna, which incidentally is where the temple of God was ultimately built. Go up there and sacrifice an offering to me, and that will stop the plague. So King David runs to this guy, Aruna, the Jebusite, and he says, "Aruna, let me buy your threshing floor. I need to make a sacrifice for the plague to stop. And Aruna says, no, no, King David, please take it. Take it. Here, the threshing floor is yours. Here are some oxen. You can slaughter them. Here's the wood for everything. Go do it. And I want you to hear what King David says. First part of 2 Samuel 24, 24. It says, but the king said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that costs me nothing. That's King David's heart. I'm not going to give something easy to the Lord because that won't please him. It has to cost. There has to be sacrifice in it or it's not pleasing to the Lord. But that leads to the second point. If we're really going to give sacrificially, then here's the second part. A pleasing gift reveals faith. If you're going to please the Lord with what you give to him, it's going to have to be born from faith. You cannot sacrifice without faith. A pleasing gift will reveal your faith in God. It's what will compel you to give sacrificially. It's exactly what you see here. So, so think about the widow's case and back in Luke 21. You, you have this, and it, the, the, verb, the wording is very, very particular. But out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. She had nothing else. And in taking this step of faith, she's going, God, I trust you with everything. Now, I know six cents, like that six pennies doesn't sound like much to us, wouldn't buy anything today. Back then, though, in their market, she could have bought some bread or something like that and had something to eat. So in giving every last penny to the Lord, she's saying, God, I trust you. You'll care for me. She's a widow. She's got no other way to make money. God, I trust you. She's exercising faith. She's showing in this this passage what there's no way she could have known. The Apostle Paul doesn't write this till decades later. But if you and I were to go to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 19, it says, and God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply every need. He will not leave you on your own. Somehow this widow knew that. I'm going to give everything because my God will meet my need. I trust him. That's faith. And that kind of faith is required or will not please the Lord. I don't know if you know uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6, incredible verse. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That our God is a rewarder, but the only way to receive the reward is through faith. We cannot please God without faith. I love this aspect of the, the scripture and the story. You have over and over in the New Testament, specifically the, four, the first four books, it's called the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have the story of Jesus told over and over again. In all those stories, there are only two times that Jesus was ever wowed. It says he marveled. Now, all the time, people marveled at Jesus. He would do a miracle and they would marvel. He would teach something incredible. They would marvel. He would shut down the, the religious leaders and they would marvel. They marveled at Jesus all the time. But there's only two times Jesus marveled at something. First one was actually in Mark 6, 6, when it says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He was amazed at how hard-hearted and unbelieving they were. And the only place where it says that he marveled was in Luke 7, when there's a centurion soldier. And it said he marveled at the man's faith. Faith is what marvels Jesus, or lack thereof. That's the only thing that really takes Jesus' breath away. He saw the centurion soldier exercise his incredible faith, and he goes, He was marveling at this man's faith. Without faith, you cannot please God. And there is no act of faith like sacrifice. Sacrifice. So when we give to God, we give knowing, God, I believe you'll do more back for me. One of the most incredible passages of Scripture, you should file this one away, you should read it, dig into it. It's Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. I want you to listen to what it says. It says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby, listen to this, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven For you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You do realize this is one of the only times in the whole Bible where God says, Put me to the test. Like most of the time, He says, Don't test me. Over and over, Don't test me, don't test me, don't test me, except there's one area. When it comes to generosity, He says, Bring in the tithes, bring in the offerings to the storehouse, put me to the test. Let's see who can outgive the other, He says. Spoiler alert, I always win. I will pour down blessing upon you. Listen, that's a scary thing to trust that God will do, especially if you're pretty good at blessing yourself. I can use this. I know how to bless myself. And God says, would you trust me? Give to me and watch how I bless you because my blessing would be greater. But it requires faith. Without faith, you cannot please God. But with faith, you can. And if you genuinely have faith that God will bless you, then that'll lead to the third part. So the first one, you know, we talked about how a pleasing gift requires sacrifice. The second one, a pleasing gift reveals faith. The third one, a pleasing gift radiates joy. A pleasing gift radiates joy. If there is no joy in the offering, it cannot please God. I don't want you to take it, though, from my perspective. I want you to hear what the Word of God says. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians. And, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 8... Excuse me, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul teaches. He says, The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we give joyfully, cheerfully. And that's exactly what you see with the widow. Now, I know some would say, well, I didn't see anything in there about joy. Nor does it say that the widow was happy to give up her last two lepta. W- where do you get that from? Well, I want you to understand what the word cheerfully, joyfully means. It doesn't mean she felt happy the whole time doing it, it meant she trusted that her God was going to do more with it. See, biblical joy isn't a feeling, it's an expectation. It's this belief that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And because we know God will do more with it, then the joy part of it is the willing. I'm not, that's why it says not under compulsion, not reluctantly. The opposite of that is cheerfully, which means willingly, gladly, open-handedly I give because I know what my God can do. I, I really think you and I have to work on this because there are some of you who are going to go, I heard Jason say that if I'm not happy about giving money, I don't have to give. So stop the tithe check, do all that. I'm not happy to give. Check. God only loves cheerful givers. I'm not cheerful, so I'm going to keep my money. And the, and the reason I want you to hear me speak to this, is not because the Lord needs your money. He owns the cattle in a thousand hills. Let me go ahead and tell you, he can provide. It's because you're going to miss the truth of God's word. We just don't understand joy. We confuse joy with happiness. Happiness is a feeling. Joy is a posture, a sense of expectation of what God's going to do. Maybe I can explain it this way. This struck me the other day. So I don't know how many of you, I know most of us in here are Americans and like soccer is not nearly as big here as it is around the world, but I love the World Cup. Lived in Argentina for a couple of years. I've been waiting for Argentina to win the World Cup. And hopefully, you know, back in 2022, at the end of the year, Argentina finally won and there was Messi lifting the Golden Cup. I remember seeing Messi play back 23 years ago when I lived in Argentina when he was just super young, and I was like, I can't wait for this, this guy to make it. So it was huge. Like My whole family's going buck wild when Argentina wins. And I, I, I loved the fact that I, I got fulfilled in my lifetime. I got to see it. But I, I you know kind of forgotten that, uh, moved on in life, and then there was this documentary that came up on Netflix, and I decided I was going to watch it, and it was about the World Cup. And so it started back in the preliminaries, and it just marched toward really taking the the perspective of the captains of the World Cup teams, like who was going to win. I already knew who was going to win, but I just wanted to watch the, the thing. And it started with the first game that Argentina played against Saudi Arabia. I don't know if you remember what happened, but it was this huge upset. Argentina's first game, they lose to Saudi Arabia. And I'm sitting there watching this documentary, recount the whole thing, watching them. I see Messi with his head down. I see the whole team with their tail between their legs walking off the field. And I got to tell you, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel happy watching Argentina lose that game to Saudi Arabia. I get bothering me to remember that, wondering, are they going to win or not? I wasn't happy in that moment, but I already knew Argentina was going to win. So I want to keep watching this Netflix series because I want to see how it works its way out to Messi when he lifts up the World Cup as a champion. So in that moment, I didn't feel happy, but I was still joyful to watch this series because I knew how the end was going to finish. That's the difference between the two. You can give expectantly. I don't know if the widow felt happy when she was putting in everything she had to live on. Oftentimes when you're making a big sacrifice, you can be overwhelmed by it. There's a sense of, God, I trust you. Help me remember to trust you. God, I trust you. Help me remember to trust you. Yet still, I believe, God, you'll do more. I know you'll take care of me. And I'm just, I can't wait to see what you do with this. You have joy, even if you don't feel happy about it. See, God loves a joy-filled, a cheerful giver who says, God, you can do more with this than I can. The other side of that, too, it's not just the expectation of how much more God can do. It's also the reminder that you and I need to live with eyes of eternity, not just the present. If you go into the Sermon on the Mount and you read chapter 6, Jesus says something profound. He says, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth can destroy and rust can oxidize. He says, store it for yourselves treasure in heaven where no one can take that away from you. And here's what he's saying. Don't be foolish enough to think that you can make all these investments on earth and it's going to go well for you because you get a return. Invest in what has the greatest return for the longest length of time. The investment we make in treasures in heaven will never run dry, will never go away, will build and build and build for all eternity. So when we give to the cause of Christ, we're investing in heaven. And he says there's no greater investment you can make. So if you really believe that, remember, by faith, why wouldn't you sacrifice if you knew the dividends that were returned upon you were infinite? It's when we don't have faith that we forget to do it with joy. This world... It's a wisp of smoke. It's here one second and boom, it's gone. And how we live this earth here and now will affect what we experience for all eternity. And he's just saying, I want you to invest in what matters the most. So give joyfully because you know you're investing in what matters. This is all what we learn from this widow as she gave. Now, I remember thinking through this story and wondering why the Lord had me stop and slow down and look at just four verses. I don't know if you know this or not, but we planned the sermon series way in advance. So back in October, I already knew I wanted to go through the Gospel of Luke from the triumphal entry all the way to the resurrection. And so I break up that portion of Scripture week by week to determine what we're going to study. And usually it's like 20 verses or 30 verses or 40 verses. And this time, I felt like the Lord saying four verses. I want you to slow down, and I want you to look at just four verses. I argued with the Lord a little bit like, no, God, we got to cover more ground. We're not going to make it to Easter, God. And I felt like the Lord saying, trust me. And I had no idea why back in October. But here I stand in February, and I know why. Because God knew when I didn't know that we were going to be in a unique season in our church and in the life of Fielder. So I want to tell you the season we're in right now. Many of you have been coming. You're already aware of this. We are in a season of unprecedented growth and movement of God. God is doing things he's never done before in our church you know, I mentioned this a few times, but 2023 finished out. We were over 30% bigger in attendance. And you can look around the room and see how more and more people are coming in here, people online. You can't see the whole room, but trust me, more and more people are coming. It's all over the church. We're, we're about 30% bigger at the end of 2023 than we were at the end of 2022, if you look at the year to year. What's interesting is January, we just look at the numbers, we are 41% bigger this January than we were January 2023. In other words it's not slowing down it's growing we told you last year we had the most baptisms in the history of our church 318 we've already had 27 this year and we're going to continue to see God move because he's not stopping his movement but what you may not know is it's not just that last year in 2023 we sent the most people in the history of our church out on short-term mission trips over 500 people went on a short-term mission trip last year Beyond that, we have more mentors in the schools than we've ever had right here, right now. We have every number in the church is up and to the right, except one, giving. Oddly enough, we're over 30% more than we were the year before, and our giving is down 5%. And I know that might not sound like it's that much, like, hey, man, we're doing all right. We've got 95% there. Stop, stop berating us. What do you want from us? Well, here's what I want you to understand. We set that budget, and we didn't plan it to be flat from year to year. We saw God blessing with the baptisms and the movement, so we planned and voted on as a church to increase the budget by almost 4%, which means now the discrepancy between what was given and what we voted on as the budget is now almost 10%. You would talk dollar amount, that's about $600,000 that we're behind from what we voted on to have as a budget and what's been brought in. Now here, I want, you, I want to settle some nerves that we are not in any kind of risk or danger right now in this moment. We're not going to have to start firing people and doing all kinds of crazy things right now because we have an amazing finance team. We have amazing trustees, and they have worked hard to give us stopgaps in different places to make sure that we're financially solvent. And so, praise God, we're still in a good place right now. But I want to be honest with you. If we continue down this pathway, within a few months— We're going to have to make some really hard decisions. By the end of the year, we will be in a moment of crisis. And we're going to have to decide what we're going to do as a church. Because not only is it a downward trend, but we now have 30 to 40 percent more people to minister to with less resources to do the ministry. Meaning staff are going to burn out. Volunteers are going to burn out. A whole lot of things are going to happen because we don't have the resources to fund the ministry that we need to. And I believe that's why God is saying right here, right now, I wanted you to slow down and look at her because you need to speak to the church and tell them what's going on. Now, I know when you hear a number like 600,000, the first thought that pops into your mind is, what in the world can I do about that? Anything I do will be a drop in a huge bucket. It's not going to make a lick of difference. And you're, you're kind of just going, I'm sorry, Jason, I just don't have $600,000 sitting in my bank account. I, I, can't, I can't meet this need. Let me go ahead and tell you, you weren't meant to meet the need on your own. God doesn't want some super rich dude to come in here on his white stallion and be the savior of the church and give $600,000. The church already has a savior. His name is Jesus. And we don't need another savior. What we need is the masses of people of Fielder Church saying, we're all going to go in on this thing together. And we're going to join hands and we're going to meet the need of the moment because we want to see God continue to do what he's doing. and We want to give to that end. And so as we were praying about this, what we felt like the Lord was saying we should do is challenge the church in an initiative called All In. And it's kind of a double entendre, all in meaning like the widow. She went all in with the Lord, was willing to give sacrificially. So we're going to go all in. But also, all of us have to go in on this thing together. And if we all go in on this thing together, we're going to see the move of God. He's going to provide for his church through us. And so we said, what would that look like? And an idea was tossed out. I thought it was of the Lord. What if we challenged every family unit of the church to consider giving an additional $100 a month for the remainder of 2024. So we're going to sacrifice a bit more. We're going to give $100 more a month for the remainder of 2024 to this all-in initiative so we can grab hands together and meet the need that we need to meet. There are 2,600 active family units in our church. And just to explain explain nomenclature, a family unit is uh, like for my family, my wife and I, there's eight of us, so we're, we're one family unit of eight. Some of you are families of three, four, or five. Some of you are single adults. You, one, you're a family unit. And so the, there are over 2,600 active family units in our church right now. And if every single one of them gave $100 a month over the next several months to finish the year 2024 this way, we would not only meet the need, we would surpass it abundantly and have so much left over to send people on mission, to support church funding, to do good in our community. Everything that we needed more is sitting right here, but we got to all go in together on it. Now, when you hear me say $100, I know there are some of you right now, and you're going, Jason, there's no way I could do that. That's why I think the widow's might was the perfect message the Lord had for us. Because I want to remind you what I said before. It is not the amount that matters most. It's the weight that matters. So some of you, you're in a particular situation that 100 would be foolhardy of you to do that. But maybe you can give 50 a month. Maybe you can give 20, 10, and that's weighty for you. That pleases the Lord. I want to challenge the children who are in here too. They say, what what could I give? Because maybe for you, you don't have much, but for you to give a dollar or two a month would be very weighty for you. I believe the Lord will be pleased because you're saying I want to contribute. That weight could be massive, even if it doesn't seem like it's a lot of money because it's the weight that matters to the Lord. So don't feel guilt. Guilt. Don't feel like you're not contributing. God is looking at your heart. God is looking at the weight of what you give, and he's pleased if you just trust him. and Give a weighty gift, whatever that looks like for you. But on the other side of that, let me talk to those of you, maybe, that God has blessed more. If you're honest, $100 a month, it's surplus for you. That's the abundance part. There's no weight to it. Maybe you got to pray through, is God calling me to do more? Maybe it's a couple hundred. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's 500 a month. Maybe it's more. Or for the remainder of the year, you're going, to okay, I, I know I need to feel sacrifice in this. I want to give more to this because I want to stand in this moment. I want to help meet the needs of this church together with my brothers and sisters so we can see God continue to bless the way that he's blessing. So my challenge for you is just to say, Lord, will you invite me into this? Will you give me the faith to trust you, to sacrifice, to give? Not reluctantly. There, there's no field or tax you got to give here. That doesn't please the Lord. This is just you willingly, joyfully, cheerfully saying, I want to be a part of this. So, if you feel like God is calling you to do that, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to get up and you're going to see tables around the room. And on these tables is a a little basket that's got little coins that look like these. They just symbolize the widow's mite, that little lepta, that small thing that she got. And you're going to walk up and you're going to go to one of those tables and you're going to grab one of these coins. And this is your commitment, not to me. I'll never know whether you got one or not. This is not a commitment to an amount. This is a commitment to the Lord. You're saying, God, I want to be a part of this. I want to join my church family. I don't yet know what amount. I don't know what I can do, but I know I'm in, God. I want to have that kind of faith. I want to, I want to please you with sacrifice, with faith, with joy. And you going to get one of these coins and you can put in your pocket and take it home is just you saying, I commit to you, God. But before you go to one of these places and do that, before I give you instructions on how that all works out, i got to come to the most important part. Here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried there are some of you in this room that can make a grave mistake. I'm worried there's some of you watching online, and you may go, okay, I want to be a part of this, even if I can't come get a coin. And you're going to do it thinking somehow you giving money will make God love you more. Or maybe if I give this money, God will forgive me for what I did that time. Or maybe, yeah, I guess I got to do this. I haven't been giving, you know, inflation and stuff, and now I feel guilty. Okay, whatever. I know I'm supposed to be a good little Christian, and I got to give, so I'll do that. Think of that. It's your moral responsibility, and therefore you have to do it. That's called reluctantly. That does not please God. If you give because you think you're buying God's affection or paying up for some past sins or because you have to, none of that will please God. The only way you can give sacrificially and still have joy in it is if you remember how much greater a gift he's given to you than you could possibly give to him. And that's why all our generosity has to be born on the gospel of Jesus. This is the very thing the Apostle Paul told us. I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians. We were in chapter 9 where we talked about him being a cheerful giver. I want to go to the chapter before where he gives the reason why we give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to what it says. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What this is saying is a very simple concept. An exchange took place. Jesus had all the riches of glory. And the Father said, I want you to go down and abandon it all. Become poor. Poor to the point of death on a cross. And all the rest of us who had sinned and rebelled against God, we were estranged children of God, and we we're in spiritual poverty. And Jesus comes and becomes poor, dies on a cross, and says, I've taken away your sin. Here's my robe of righteousness. And now we become heirs of the kingdom of God, as rich as you can be, because he became poor. We gave him our broken poverty. He gave us his abundant riches. That's the most extravagant gift anyone can give. No man has any love more than this, that one would lay down his life for his friend. Jesus laid down his life, gave the most extravagant gift, and we cannot pay it back. There was no amount of money you could ever give to pay back what Christ has done for you. He doesn't want you to try. He just wants you to imitate his his generosity. And his love back to God through sacrifice, through faith, through joy. That's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to be willing to give back to God what is just a token of your love for him. Just a way to say to the Father, I see you. You matter to me. I want to give even more. God, I wish I could do even more, but I want to give even more. So don't go to grab a coin unless you're doing it from a place of saying, God, I know how much you love me. And if I can stretch a little more, if I can be involved a little more, then I want to love you more. I'll do it. But also, I want you to hear this. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that what God most wants from you is money. As long as you give some money, he's going to be okay. There is only one great thing you can give to Jesus in response to his gift to you, and that's your heart. The most extravagant thing you can give to your extravagant God is yourself. It's your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, giving all of yourself to the Lord in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So maybe instead of coming and getting a coin, you need to say, Jesus, I give myself to you. The only way you'll do that is if you actually believe he loves you. And I know there are people in this room, and Satan has been lying to you, going, no, he can't love a person. like Not after the thing you've done. Not after the way that you've sinned. Not after how long you've been away from me in the church. No, no, no. God can't love a person like you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Let me just go ahead and tell you that. His love is greater than any sin you could ever commit. His love is greater than any length of time you could ever be away from God's people. His love is greater than anything that you think disqualifies you. And stop diminishing his love and believing it's not enough for you. Accept his love. And the moment you accept his love, all you can do is give yourself to him. So this morning, if you need to give yourself to him, we're going to have pastors down front. We have a baptistry on stage for one reason. It's for you to declare your love for your God publicly. You go down in there, you're dead and buried. It's a sign that you rebelled against God. You were spiritually poor. You come out and you come out a wealthy man, a wealthy woman with all the wealth of heaven belonging to you because you are in Christ Jesus. And you're testifying, I love him. I belong to him. He's waiting for you to tell him that. Not just silently with your words, but publicly through an act of faith. He loves you. Will you love him back? Before I do that, one last thing I want to say. There are some of you who would long to be more generous. There are just things in your life that are hard right now. Maybe you're having marital conflict and you can't even agree on anything, much less how to give to the church. And this just adds angst to you to go, well, now we're going to talk about giving and it's going to be another argument. And you just wish you could be together on that, but you can't. Or maybe you're just in a financial situation right now that makes it really difficult. Maybe there's job loss or maybe you've had medical bills that have come up or something's happened that's just making it difficult. Maybe there's something going on in your life that's making it hard for you to be generous. I'm going to encourage you to do something. We're going to have prayer partners down front. I want to encourage you to come and pray for God to bless you. But I don't want you to do it selfishly. You do it so that you can be a blessing to others. There's a so that principle all through Scripture. Here all the way back to Abraham says that God was going to bless Abraham so that he could be a blessing to the nations. It is okay for you to pray for God to bless you if it's so that you could be a blessing. So whatever that thing is that's keeping you back, whatever needs you have, come forward. Let us pray for God to bless you so that you can be a blessing. So I want to invite you all to stand up right now. If you need prayer for whatever situation you're in, prayer team, y'all come on down right now and get set up around the front. Staff's going to move around. If you need us to pray for a situation, something going on in your life that you want, you long for God to resolve so that you'll have the ability to be generous, the ability to bless others, you let us pray for you. If today you're saying, I'm ready, I I know I need to be generous, I'm ready to step into this all-in initiative, I don't know how much yet, I don't know what it's going to look like, but God, I'm saying yes to you. And we have tables all around the room, go grab one of these widow's mites, one of these little coins, as a sign and symbol of your commitment to God. Last one. If today you're saying, all right, I know he loves me, and I've been fighting it, I'm ready to give him my love, I'm ready to declare it publicly, I need to be baptized, I need to declare my faith in Jesus, you come let us know We'll counsel with you. we got a t-shirt that says, Jesus in my place on it. Shorts you can change into. And before you leave today, if you so desire, you can have a moment to testify to your faith in Christ today. So you got to respond. We're going to sing about how Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Because our sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We're singing the gospel. Let it be in faith. And let it be in response. You respond as you need to.